Hello, and welcome to another Free Speech and Medicine podcast. This is the second last in our 2023 speaker series, where I introduce to you the very interesting collection of experts that we've cobbled together to speak at our upcoming Free Speech and Medicine conference in Bedeck, Nova Scotia. As I've said previously, all the information is online at freespeechandmedicine.com, including sign up. My guest for this podcast is Dr. Eric Payne. Dr. Payne is a pediatric neurologist. He has a degree in public health from Harvard and worked at the Mayo Clinic for a number of years before returning to Canada to take a job in Alberta in 2020. A healthy society sacrifices for and protects its children. I know of no grandparent who would not willingly lay down his or her life for a grandchild. But COVID policy took such choices out of the hands of individuals and collectivized them, outsourcing decisions to the experts, TM. They decided that in order to protect the elderly and comorbid, children's sports, school, graduation ceremonies, extracurricular activities, dating, and socialization in general had to be sacrificed. They justified coerced vaccinations for children and youth who are at exceedingly low risk from COVID, with the idea that vaccinating youth would prevent spread to the elderly. We masked toddlers. We closed parks. You know the story. Despite his experience, credentials, and obvious unshakable ethics, Dr. Payne was hauled onto the mat for daring to criticize vaccine mandates. As you'll hear, his life changed a lot, but he has no regrets. Eric is active with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, CCCA, and continues to be a strong voice of reason pushing for sanity in the, for some, never-ending war on COVID. We are happy and honored that he has agreed to be one of our speakers this year. Tonight, I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Payne. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself, but he's joining me all the way from uh, Alberta today. And so it's a little a little late here in Cape Breton, but earlier in the evening for him. And like uh, any good Canadian guy, he's just come home from hockey not that long ago. So uh, anyway, Eric, thanks for joining us. And as with uh, the other speakers, maybe I'll get you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Who are you? What's your qualifications? And then tell us a little bit about the last year or two and how you landed in the place you're in now. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to the conference um, very much. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm back back playing hockey now um, after you know a few years hiatus uh, as we, you know, during the lockdowns sort of got away from that. And um, fortunately, there's uh, other doctors on the team who know how to use an automated external defibrillator in case things go bad, but it hasn't happened yet. I am, um, you know, a child neurologist um, trained in Calgary. Um, I did medical school and residency in Calgary, and then I did a epilepsy and neurocritical care fellowship at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Um, during that time, I um, also got a master's of public health from Harvard University, and then was supposed to go back to Alberta um, as they funded sort of part of my fellowship. Uh, research uh, component. It was a strong research-based fellowship. Um, but unfortunately, those those winds had changed uh, and I got recruited to Mayo Clinic. So I spent six years at Mayo Clinic from 2014 to 2020 on staff there, um, seeing you know mainly epilepsy and child neurology and, and doing a lot of ICU EEG monitoring. Um, I got recruited back, you know, to Calgary um, in, you know, in 2019, we, I started back here in 2020, just a month before everything went sideways. Um, I'm very, very blessed, you know, I'm a wife and three young children. And uh, yeah, we made the decision. We were happy in Rochester, Minnesota. I mean, it's a, it really is. I have, you know, I have yet to see a, a place better than Mayo Clinic. I mean, the delivery of care there is just outstanding. Really was a privilege to work there. 
came back here because, um, you know, nice, uh, uh, research package with protected time. And ultimately my wife, you know, who's from Brandon, Manitoba, uh, we were looking forward to raising our, you know, our kids back in Canada and being near the mountains. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, Mount, this is what I, you know, worked to, to, to get to the whole, whole, whole way through, you know, an academic clinical medicine position, um, in exactly the area I had started to develop reputations in neural inflammation and ICUEG monitoring. So that, that part of the career, and I love teaching and I love being in the hospital. So, um, yeah, so that, you know, that's how that, that, that all happened was, uh, this, the setup. And then, you know, probably within a few, probably within a month, I guess, the data on kids was pretty clear with respect to their risk on COVID. I remember a New England Journal of Medicine paper had come out sort of suggesting low risk at that point. And um, I remember I started, you know, looking into early treatment as an option in case this was going to hit our families and all these type of things, right? I mean, I have uh, older parents and, um, you know, and then you you start to find some people that are speaking some incredible truths. Um, and, and then, you know, as things are rolling out prospectively, you're realizing, wow, I'm, you know, I'm there, there's something off here. Um, uh, so, you know, by the time um, the, the the vaccine mandates came around in the fall 2021, Alberta Health Services had implemented um, an upcoming mandate. Um, and so I was going to, you know, lose my job at the Children's uh, if, if if I didn't, didn't take the jab. And uh, at the same time, the college in Alberta, um, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta were deciding, were debating whether or not they were going to tag the vaccine mandate to our licenses. So not only would I not be able to practice at the children's, but I, you know, wouldn't be able to practice medicine in Alberta. Um, and so, you know, at the time I wrote a letter on September 15th, 2021, post a letter. It was, it was 18 pages. Um, you know, I think about 70 or 80 references written right to the college, just saying, listen, these are the facts, um, the data as is coming out, you know, how can you possibly force people to take an experimental genetic vaccine um, you know, and, 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 and you just change the word vaccine definition. So it's not, you know, it's not even fair to even call it that. Um, how, how can you mandate that on somebody who's so low risk? And, and then, you know, I had been listening to things at the children's hospital where it was very clear, um, that within a month that was going to be coming down as a mandate on children. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, mid October, early November, that year, 2021 was when they first came out with the 11 to 18 year old, uh, shots, which, you know, 89% of those teenagers took, took two, um, only 20 to 30% took three. Um, but, but that was the sort of timing of it. And as a result of that letter, which was, was, was emailed, uh, directly to the council members themselves on the, on the college, um, a letter I've never received a response for, um, but a letter that has generated, uh, a, an ongoing complaint, which I can't really get into with respect to misinformation. Um, the, uh, that letter, ended up getting leaked and went viral. And um, there, you know, ultimately you can, you can back down, but there, there, the reality was everything in that letter was, was bullet point with a reference. Uh, it was links to videos of experts speaking. There was nothing in it that was misinformation. There was nothing in it that was disinformation. You know, two, three years later, you take an objective look at that letter. You, you, you know, the, the investigators, I can tell you still haven't pointed out anything specifically that was misinformation. The only point, Point that I can tell you, you know, I, mean, I guess obviously I'm biased. I wrote the letter, but you know, I, I let other people look at this. You know, they've got investigators who've looked at it, can't find them. Um, I, 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 I estimated what my risk to my patients would be, and and I based it on an asymptomatic spread rate of fifty percent, which is what they were telling everybody was the case. But we knew already at that point that the asymptomatic spread rate was less than five percent. It had already been acknowledged, but I figured I wasn't even going to bother 
fighting that because ultimately, you know, that, then, you know, I'm just not going to show up to work if I'm sick. Right. You know, just, that, that is as simple as that. Um, but I, I did it based on a 50% rate, which showed it was a fraction of zero. And that's the only real thing that you can look back on, you know, frankly, and, and sort of say, so um, right afterwards, um, three of us went to court against Alberta health services, three physicians in Alberta against the vaccine mandate itself. We were hoping to prevent its implementation that, Vaccine mandate was delayed several times, but eventually came to fruition. Um, and in uh, December, um, we were we were locked out. And the very next day, as a matter of fact, the college um, sent two investigators to go through all my charts in front of all my colleagues at the hospital. Um, so I was locked out at 11 p.m. I have all the documentation supporting this. I testified to this at National Citizens Inquiry as well. Um they locked me out at 11 o'clock and at 8 a.m. two investigators from the college were going through looking for my letters because um, they had heard that I'd written vaccine exemption letters for children. And uh, they, um, they ultimately, they found vaccine exemption letters for a select few um, group of kids that I had been following and, and who had had good reasons to, to be exempted from those letters. So they closed the investigation. Um, but that was one of the lies as well. They were going around telling everybody that you can't write a vaccine exemption letter unless the kid has either had a reaction to the first shot or developed myocarditis from the first shot. That's not really, you know, but the reality is there are a lot of kids who have had um, time associated changes, you know, cognitive changes, epilepsy development, autism, whatever, related to vaccines. And a lot of families, the idea that they're going to take another one is just not, not possible, right? And so all of us, I mean, one of the kids, for instance, I wrote a vaccine exemption letter for, uh, my my colleague who had been following this child for five to 10 years before I got back to Calgary, he'd been writing the vaccine exemption letters for her on the regular schedule for, for a long time. But all of a sudden this was now, you know, it was heretic to do this. Um, and, uh, and, and so that, that was sort of, you know, boom, you're right into it. You're in, you're in court against the college. You're being locked out from the hospital. They're investigating you for vaccine exemption letters. Uh, and then the freedom convoy comes out and, uh, you know, I, uh, jumped at the the opportunity to get down to Ottawa. Um, I was fortunate to um, uh, to be around, um, you know, some really incredible people. I'm from Ottawa originally. So Canada Day in Ottawa was always a, you know, very fun party. But I can tell you what was going on in Ottawa. Um, you know, tens of thousands of people in minus 32 degree weather from all walks of life. Um, young, old, every color under the skin. Um, you know, every sexual orientation, you know, different religions or Aboriginal, it was the, they could not show video of the crowd because it completely destroyed their narrative. It was people who were literally getting together, you know, that just, we were so happy to find each other, you know, to realize that there were other people that, that agreed that this was overreach. I mean, at the time, December, 2021, when the truckers came through, we were sitting on data in every province in Canada suggesting that relative to vaccine status per 100,000 vaccine status, you were twice as likely to be getting the Omicron variant if you had two shots. So, you you know, the, the, how could you possibly be forcing truckers to not to take the shot to be able to bring goods and services through? I mean, the, the evidence didn't support that. We knew, you know, not only did, did, did we know that that didn't stop transmission at that point. I mean, Walensky had acknowledged that. Dr. Michelle Walensky from the former CDC director had, had acknowledged that in August. We know through access to information now that uh, between her and Fauci that they already knew this thing didn't stop transmission in January, February. So we just keep learning more and more about the about, about the lies. Um, but anyways, the truckers came came through, had a chance to be there. 
and uh and then returned back to uh you know i was only there for for about uh seven or ten days uh well home well before um the emergencies act was invoked um i had to come back and uh was able to start seeing patients because i agreed to go back with testing so mm-hmm. we were allowed to you know for a few weeks um i had to i had to go to the pharmacy to get a covid test so i could go and and do my clinical job and then after a few weeks that got that got released um but Alberta Health Service, who had recruited me on a three-year recruitment package for Mayo Clinic, um, including three-year startup funding to start a neuroinflammatory research project, um, sent me a letter January 6th, 2022, two years into a three-year package, package stating that they weren't going to renew my contract um, because I was, you know, um, I was not um, basically, uh, I hadn't um, uh, been compliant with their with their new additional bylaw, which was the immunization COVID policy. Um, but, but at that point, you know, within four weeks, they had dropped that mandate. As I said, I was allowed back in testing. So it became a moot point, but nonetheless, um, you know, it wasn't like I was off my job. They, they actually, um, um, opened it right up hires, um, you know, long story, but the, the reality is now I'm, I'm in the community and, uh, seeing patients that way. Uh, I've had the, one of the ways that, you know, this, in terms of sanity, I was, fortunate to get involved with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance very early in, in the fall of 2021. So I've been on the science and medical advisory committee um, with just some just brilliant people from all. And we have like 35 people on that science committee from all areas that you would, you know, you would want science experts. And, and ultimately I think the track record for what we've written and stated over time has, has held. Um, so, so that's been, been outstanding. Um, and, and so, you know, move, moving forward here, we find ourselves, um, you know, almost right back where we started, right? A few falls ago mm-hmm. uh, with respect to the Canadian government uh, recommending these, 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 you know, the most recent boosters in children and, uh, and so forth. And even masking to some extent has, um, you know, some, some people in Alberta are recommending that aren't kids. It's back. It's back. Yes. In Nova Scotia, they just implemented, implemented a mask mandate in the hospitals once again, uh, you know, despite, the Cochrane collaboration data and number of negative studies, you know, randomized controlled trials and all that. It seems like uh, I think we're all in on the politics. So you can't you can't let science get in the way of politics when when we're when we're already too far down the road with masking. So it's it's back, and I think it will be back yearly until enough people just say no. That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, I I'm I'm a firm believer in. In, in medical choice and and full informed consent. I don't think anybody has gotten informed consent on these shots. And I don't think anybody who's wearing masks has gotten full informed consent on wearing masks. So um, it is political. There's a lot of propaganda. They're uh, the same usual suspects out, you know, touting this stuff in the mainstream. Um, but the reality is that you're pointing out to, um, you know, there, the recent um, Cochrane review, which was a meta-analysis of 78 randomized control trials looking at non-pharmaceutical interventions, um, a component of which looks specifically at masks. Um, two of those randomized control trials occurred specifically in the COVID-19 era, the Bangladesh population-based study and the Danmas trial, which were, were negative trials. And part of the issue is that, you know, um, compliance. I mean, how do you get people to wear continuous masks all the time? You know, you're going to be touching your face, moving around and uh, that being said, we also know the physics of of this virus being aerosolized can you know can get can get through that without, without too much difficulty, and it can you know remain suspended. Um, you know, so it's not surprising that that these things don't don't work. Um, you know, what what doesn't get a lot of 
attention, which is what is so frustrating, I think, as a child neurologist is, is the harms of masking, right? I mean, that Cochrane review stated specifically that um, with respect to masking, there were most, most trials had not really assessed the harms um, specifically in those bigger trials, but there are lots of, you know, um, peer reviewed trials now um, showing all the particular harms uh, and potential harms with respect to masking. And I would say, you know, the most obvious uh, most concerning to me, you know, the CDC itself changed how many how many words kids were supposed to know by a certain date. You know, we call these developmental language milestones. They changed that by six months, so that you know kids were expected to learn six months less. You know, uh, expected to know their language six months later than you know had been the case for twenty to thirty years. And anybody who has kids or anybody who's been around kids knows that they look at your mouth to you know how to figure out how to move their mouth, you know, that you can see them actually a lot of time mirroring your, your mouth. Um, and, and all of a sudden you, you mask that. I mean, my, my kids went, went through that and, you know, I would never allow them to go through that again, but we went through that. And, you know, my youngest daughter was trying to pick up French immersion as a five-year-old and was wearing a mask the whole time. Right. I mean, how are you supposed to do that when the teacher's wearing a mask and you haven't spoken French? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a series of articles, which I'll, I'll link to in the uh, show notes for this, but I, I wrote a series of articles on masks and there's uh, people can check them out, but there's a great video on in the, in the particular one on the harms of masking. There's a video that shows that in, in real time, a child trying to repeat a word that his older brother is saying, and the brother is saying it with the mask, with the mask, then takes the mask down. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it is, you know? And so they, they do, they see the way their mouth moves. They, that's how they understand to do it. And the that's thought right. that it wouldn't affect child speech development was kind of insane. Like it, it had to, it just has to, if you understand. Well, of course, of course. I mean, I'm not talking about if, you know, if you, if you, if you go into a hospital and you've got a respiratory illness and they want you to wear a mask when you're in, you know, the emergency department during that time, that's a different story. Forcing a kid to, who is asymptomatic to have a mask on for eight days in elementary school is absolutely insane, you know, and, and it wasn't supported by the data. Um, you know, the data actually shows, you know, cause the beautiful thing, you know, with time is that, you know, one, they had, they had to go against what we knew about masking, you know, what, you know, um, you know, for, for, first of all, I mean, there was a, there was a beautiful meta-analysis uh, that was published in, in the spring of 2020, um, bait kids influenza, you know, also similar aerosolized, similar size, but they had, they had, you know, lots of studies had come to the same conclusion, no evidence of, 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 of clear effectiveness, and it should only be used in targeted interactions with people who are, who are sick. So I had to throw that out the window. Um, but any, you know, now we, we've got people who are respected, um, physicians, even at the, my, you know, my children's hospital, uh, former children's hospital. And, um, you know, I see former, uh, college council members, talking about it being a no-brainer to put masks on kids. I mean, it's a no-brainer to not put masks on kids. You know, like, uh, anyways, but you know, what I was going to say with respect to, you know, the data coming out, we've got, you know, Sweden, right? They never locked down um, with respect to their schools and they didn't force kids to put masks on. Um, and what do we know from that? Well, it turns out that the teachers that were, you know, teachers in general that were around children were protected um, from, from coronavirus. There, there is a negative effect. Um, you're a protective effect from being around kids. Um, and, and so what a lie that was to tell the kids that they were going to kill their grandmother. Um, but we, you know, we know that for sure now. You and I could definitely talk about masks for a long time, but let's move on at this point. And I'll ask you, you're coming out to Cape Breton to speak for us this year. We appreciate that. What are you going to be talking about? Yeah, the, you know, we, we've got a basic principle in medicine, um, which is, 
you know, do no harm first, do no harm. And uh, in Latin, you know, it's a primum no, no ser. And uh, I've actually written about that um, with respect to pediatric epilepsy uh, as a former title, which I think is why it was in my head. But the, the title is, you know, uh, primum no, no ser, but the non, you know, do no harm the, is, is crossed out because um, I th- and we're going to specifically talk about, um, you know, the policy harms to children um, as a result of, of masking uh, of, of the lockdowns. Um, I mean, I can speak to this firsthand. I can see, speak to the, the, the patients that were filling up my clinic that, that first year. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to spend time on these um, COVID experimental genetic vaccines. I, you know, generally I call them jabs um, highlighting the overwhelming amount of evidence. Now we have with respect to kids risk from COVID um, the benefit from these, these shots in general, the, the long-term harms, the short-term harms that we know about the risk benefit analysis was never uh, in that favor. Um, and, and, and yet they continue to, to, to push boosters now, um, like the most recent one, um, for a variant that's already obsolete. Um, I think most people probably don't know that, uh, although a lot of people in our world will, will be aware of that, but you know, in, in, in the, in the Moderna trial, they, I think gave it to, um, uh, you know, they injected, uh, about 20, 21 to seven year olds. And at 14 weeks, they looked at for an antibody response. And if your IgG went up with respect to the, to the, to the shot, that was, uh, that was what they measured. And then they looked uh, at, at short-term risk to three weeks in, in those, those patients. We know antibody immune response to IgG is, is, uh, is not a good clinical proxy. And, uh, and yet that's what, you know, they, they've used uh, moving forward. And, and, and then in the Pfizer one, it's only been given to mice. So, you know, what does Cell Canada do? They come out and improve it for six months plus. All right. So we have, we have masks that clearly have downsides, don't seem to work according to the best science that we have. We're pushing them. We have vaccines that clearly have risks. They were giving them in these super low risk populations without any, you know, real evidence of benefit. So it looks like we're not doing a lot of good things for kids during COVID. Um, and I, I guess that's what your your talk is about, that we have harmed kids during COVID. What do you see? Do you see any way out of this? What's your hope? Like one, one of the things maybe I'll, I'll just throw in here. It looks like there's not many parents boosting their kids at this point, right? Do you know anything about the numbers? Does that Does that bode well? Do you think are people getting it? Yeah, no, the, the numbers, um, I mean, most recent, uh, uh, Leah, you know, across the, across the states with respect to the most recent booster, you've got less than 2% of people that are taking the shot. Um, I mean, if you had actually stuck, uh, stayed on the CDC's recommended track, you're up to your sixth or seventh shot right now. I don't think many people have done that. If you look at, I mean, the Alberta data, I know the best and, um, you know, we, as I said, had 20% uptake on the first two shots in the 11 to 18 year population. And, and you know, you got to take the, 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 the provincial government's data a little bit with, it, with you know, grain, grain of sand, but because I, I've seen evidence now, for instance, in the States where they claimed, you know, 80% uptake on the first shot, but when they've actually gone in and looked at this at a state by state basis, the number is closer to 60%. So uh, they find ways to sometimes double. I mean, in that particular instance, they were double counting people. So, you know, it, but if, if there were 80% of 11 to 18 year olds that took, took the shot, that was ba- that was the highest uptake almost, almost 88%. Uh, in the 11 to 18 year olds, higher than the adult population. 
Um, and, and that was because they were locked down for a year. They were hit the hardest. I mean, during your, your high school years where social development and, and fitting in and all that stuff is so confusing. You, you were, they were these people that were shut down. They were, they were stayed, they had to go uh, be at home and not everybody can learn, you know, via zoom. Um, and, and, uh, you know, what we were seeing in the hospital was, uh, an uptick in psychiatric and, and, and functional neurological diseases is what was filling my clinic ticks and movement disorders. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately the mental health issues, the anxiety, depression. I mean, I've got, I had kids developing, um, conditions that when they were allowed to go back to exercise, those things resolve within three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the lockdowns, I think that because they were so hit and they were told the only way you get a social pass again, is if you take it, you know, that's why you had that, that kind of uptake, but only 25%, um, took, took three. And, uh, and then if you look at the, the five to 11 year olds, uh, in Alberta, about 55, 0% of parents gave the kids two. Um, but you're looking at less than 10% that have taken three. And then in the six month to five-year-old group, you're looking at less than 25% or less than 10% that took two and like zero people have <laughs> taken three pretty much. So I think, you know, with respect to, you know, the optimism um, is that, you know, you, you can only, you can only lie about the truth for so long, right? I mean, you know, you've, the, the beauty of your conference um, is, is, a, you know, is, is it free speech and medicine? That's a integral part of the basic, physician patient relationship and the government and our colleges have have gotten in between that and it hasn't been for the better i mean i i can i can run off a list of 20 things where you know if you stated that that at the time you could lose your license which we now have evidence to suggest that those things were all all true so you know who really was spreading misinformation during during these times and 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 now you know ultimately what happened was you had really high uptake on the two shots and then boom, as I said, you know, that, that December, 2021, um, right. When the truckers came through, um, you know, almost everybody got Omicron again, regardless of whether you took shots. So I had friends in who had uh, been taking with uh, some of them were up to their third um, and then they got COVID anyways. And then they got COVID and it was more serious than, um, than, you know, the people that like myself who, you know, I don't even, I know I had COVID, but I had like, you know, mild symptoms. I don't even think I lost a day. So, you know, they saw that. And then, and then, you know, the data is showing that these side effects are not rare. And so, I mean, I know people in my, uh, my inner circle who, who have not talked to their doctor about, you know, the fact that they've got a permanent injury from these shots, but that's what I'm seeing in my clinic all the time. You know, the, the level of cognitive distance is absolutely mind boggling. You know, I've got families that are going overseas to get plasma exchange in Cyprus because their kids have been so neurologically devastated from the post-immune effects of, you know, post-COVID. But generally, you know, you're seeing it either, I see it in two cases, you know, either you had the jabs and then you got COVID a few months later, or you got COVID and then you had the jabs. And then, you know, generally it's a mild course. And then a few days later, everything's gone. And then boom, the immune system kicks off. And now they're getting POTS and they're getting co- cognitive clouding and they they have their own energy and they can't do all these things. So, you know, families know people who are going through this. And so you can't hide that with time. And so mm-hmm. I, I I think people are waking up to, to that because in their own circles, they're looking at themselves in the mirror. And, you know, you... We, we had we had our own prime minister telling us that these things 
did not skip any of the, the regulatory safety and, and uh, conditions, right? And anybody who, who wanted to apply some critical thinking could realize that was nonsense. I mean, you, you hadn't even achieved the three-year data needed to not go through emergency youth authorization in the States because you didn't have three-year data. We're never going to have that, by the way, because they unblinded at six months and they gave the placebo group the jot. Um, but but that that being said, uh, you, you don't you don't have that 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 data and and if you actually did it the way you're supposed to you know uh, the regulatory mechanism for genetic uh, therapy that's ten to fifteen years, um, right? So, but what, what do we have now in in Canada? You can find this video; it's brilliant. There's a, a, a I always get the it's house father is an MLA, uh, a liberal MLA, and he was testifying uh, recently in the house. Um, and was being asked about these contracts that remain um, completely um, silent, right? We're not allowed to see the contracts between our government and these pharmaceutical companies. Um, and 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 House Father in this is saying, of course, we had to rush um, these shots and we had to provide them liability. How else were these guys going to give this to us? Mm-hmm. You know, and and so you know that that's obviously the truth, but it takes two years for that to get out, and you know now people are hearing that. And they're not willing to go along with that anymore. And I think that that is just um, that that is um, that is optimistic. Um, and I think it would be pretty much universal if if we didn't have a mainstream media that was, you know, trumpeting only one side of this stuff. Absolutely. Well, I, I like the saying. You, you remind me of um, saying, uh, "A lie has speed, but the truth has endurance." So I think mm-hmm. you know, as as time goes on, the the lying has as people see through it and the truth kind of comes out bit by bit by bit to them. So uh, hopefully we're getting there and, and listen, hopefully you'll be uh, part of that process when you come and speak for us and uh, meet a bunch of great people in Bedeck, Nova Scotia on October 27th and just less than two weeks now. So uh, listen, thanks for taking the time with me tonight. Uh, thanks for agreeing to speak and thanks for all you've done in the last few years. I, I know from personal experience, it's a very hard time to be cast out of polite society and it can be very challenging. But uh, if you're anything like me, you you probably lost some friends, but gained better ones. So everything happens for a reason. So hopefully you're, you're in a better place now. I, I, I that's exactly um, the conclusion that I've come to as well. Um, I feel, um, you know, frankly, completely blessed to have been woken up to, to a lot of issues that I were, uh, I was in the dark about, um, and so with time, you know, it's not like I'm losing sleep, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and you can take away, you know, you can take away the academic career. You can take away the, the, the salary. Um, you can call me all the names you want. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, as you say, when you're on the right side and, and the truth is there, I mean, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to just going to continue. And when you, unless you have the, the evidence to, um, to state otherwise, um, then, then I'm going to have to keep talking because, you know, I signed up to look after children for a living. I've got three of my own. So, you know, I'm not going to stop talking about this. You know, I would feel disgusted with myself if I had been spreading the misinformation, disinformation that's been propagated from the, you know, the powers that be over these years. Living in truth is the way to be. Right on. Well, that's a great note to end on. So, uh, Eric Payne, thanks very much. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you there. Mm -hmm.